Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Well, good afternoon, brethren. And uh, nice to have Jennifer back, if you don't mind me saying. (laughs) Well, brethren, on uh, December 21st, After services, we headed home and had dinner, and after dinner, we were in the family room. And around 7.30 that evening, the power went out. And uh, that is not unusual for where we live, but uh, what we have is a habit of calling Burlington Hydro to find out when will the power come back. And so we did that, and they said it would be back in two hours, by by 9.30. So we thought, that's not bad. Uh, 9.30 came and went, and the power was not restored. So we decided we'd just go to bed. And normally, you know, sometime in the night the power comes back on, we get up, all the clocks are out of sorts, we just reset them. Unfortunately, when we got up that morning, the power had not been restored. And in fact, what we heard was, I I thought it was the uh, snow removal man coming and and plowing, because we just kept hearing, only to realize afterward, these were tree limbs falling that overnight this blanket of ice had covered all the trees and and it was so heavy that the tree limbs just were falling all over the place. And that, of course, was the cause of the power outage. And it was an outage that for us lasted for eight days. So rather than being out of power for two hours, we were without hydro for eight days. And uh, fortunately for Jennifer, she had uh, planned a trip to the UK to visit her family. Uh, so on the second day, she had left for the UK, thinking that any time now, any minute, the power would be restored. And uh, this, this saga just continued to drag on. My uh, wife's parents, and this might be shocking to the kids here, uh, they don't have internet. So they just have a telephone, and that's it. And so uh, we had no power, so we couldn't phone there. Uh, so what I did was um, go to Starbucks, get online, and I befriended. I don't use Facebook personally. I use Facebook for business, and that's it. And personally, I think people who are using Facebook personally are making a big mistake. But that's just me. So I decided anyway to befriend Jennifer's sister in the UK, just so that I could communicate with her, so I could tell Jennifer what's happening, or tell Sharon what's happening, and she could communicate with, uh, with Jennifer. So I did that. And uh, at the end of the power outage, I posted on Facebook that we got our power back. I thought I wouldn't do it during the power outage. I don't want to invite criminals to our home. Uh, So at the end of the outage, I said, we got our power back. And uh, lovingly, Sister Tanya posted, oh, you could come and stay with us. Immediately, Sharon called Jennifer and said, who's Tanya? She wants Adrian to stay with her. And then another person, Michelle, wrote, just give me two minutes and I'll give you all the warmth that you need. (laughs) And that was a man. (laughs) So uh, anyway, that was interesting. Sharon was constantly wondering who these people are that are offering such uh, uh, kindness toward me. But I will say I have to thank publicly the Kowalczyks and the Palmateers for the kindness that they extended to us. Uh, We were really in a bad situation. And uh, the first few nights, the kids stayed with the Palmateers and the Kowalchuks. And then after four days, we just gave up. And we went and moved in with my mom uh, for four days. Didn't think as a big man I'd be moving back in with my mom. But uh, it was nice. At the end of the, uh, when we called and got the power, on Sunday we called and they said the power was restored. And so we moved back and I thanked my mom. And she said, that's what family's for. And, and of course, that's, what's family, that's what family is for. And we felt so comfortable to just be with, she has a fairly decent sized condo, but it's just an apartment. And, and we just moved in with Kenya, with our dog, and we were all living together. And it was just comfortable because we're family. And in the same way, my kids, when I left them with the Palmateers and with the Kowalchuks, they were just totally comfortable. There was no awkwardness. And I was totally comfortable. Well, I was cold, but I was comfortable with the fact that my kids were with family. We are a family. And, and I really got to experience that 
through this, through this outage. So I learned a lot going through this experience. But I'd say the fundamental lesson that I've learned is that a house without hydro is uninhabitable. From the outside, when I looked at the house during the day, from the outside, it looked the same. But to actually live in it was a nightmare. It was cold. It was freezing cold. It was dark. And it was unpleasant. Without hydro, the water doesn't run, which I don't want to, you know, don't want to give you too much information, but the toilets don't flush. And, and it's just that you can't wash dishes. Uh, it's just a very unpleasant experience. And it got to the point where we just, we can't live here. We have to leave. Let's go to John 13. John 13. And look at verse 33. He says here, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I say also to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment. This is not a suggestion. This is not a pretty good idea. This is the commandment from Jesus Christ to his church. It's a new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another. This is what's required of the church. If we are God's people, this is his commandment to us. Not that we tolerate each other, and that's it. Not that we visit with each other once a week, but that we truly love one another that we have a deep, heartfelt, spiritual love for each other. How? What, what type of love are we talking about? Just as I have loved you. So when we look at the scriptures, when we read the gospel, and we see how Christ loved the church, so much so that he died for it, this is his commandment to us, that we love each other with this type of love, with this type of sacrifice. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, this is how all people will know that you are my disciples. So it's not just because we say we're Christ's disciples that people will say, oh, yeah, they're Christ's disciples. No. And it's not a few people. It's all people will know, wow, these are Christ's disciples. All people will know this because of the love that we have for one another. If you have love for one another. So this is a very, very clear commandment. And it's proof of our discipleship. Now, hold this thought in your mind. This is the commandment from Christ to us. That the way that he has loved the church, that's his expectation of us. This is how we are to love the church. Now let's go to Matthew 24. So John 13 gives us the beginning. Christ says he's going away, and then he's going to establish the church, and this is how we are to love one another. Matthew 24 gives us the end. So we see how the church starts. It starts with this command to love one another. Now let's see how it ends. Matthew 24, beginning in verse 6, speaking of the end time. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. So this is where we're trying to see, you know, when exactly will Christ return? Well, there's going to be lots of war, and there's going to be rumors of war. It's going to be a very tense situation. But don't be alarmed. The end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. So this is just the beginning. It's going to get worse. This is just the beginning. At this time, they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. So this is, how, this is the end time. This is what's ahead for the church. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. 
and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. So we go from a church that's established with the commandment to love one another, and we roll into the end where brethren hate one another and brethren betray one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased. So this is a a time when just the filth of sin is everywhere. And And it will be increasing. And because of this, the love of many will grow cold. The hydro will go out. The house will become uninhabitable. This is what's ahead of us. And what I'd like us to do, brethren, is to think of this congregationally. That this dynamic of of disobeying the command to love one another, it's not just a general dynamic. It's a congregational dynamic. This happens inside congregations, that there are brethren within a congregation that grow to hate each other, that betray each other. And this happens in the end time. Because of lawlessness, the house grows cold. It's like that that layer of ice overnight while we're sleeping, just covers all the trees. And when 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 we wake up, limbs are breaking off. And it says here, In verse 10, many will fall away. They'll break off. That's what cold does. That's what ice does. And so we have a a choice to make somewhere between the establishment of the church and the return of Christ. Do we allow the power to go out? Or do we commit to keeping the hydro on? That's the decision that we have to make. And what I want to do today in the sermon is encourage us to power God's house, to power God's house with hydroelectricity. Hydropower, according to Wikipedia, hydroelectricity is the term that refers to electricity that's generated by hydropower. Hydropower is the production of electrical power through the use of of the gravitational force of falling or flowing water. So we have Niagara Falls, that water just falls through gravity, and we're able to harness energy from those waterfalls and turn it into electricity. And that's what powers the city. So spiritually, God's spirit is poured into the church. We need to harness that power, and then each one of us can express that power and contribute that power to God's house and power the house. So we go from this command to love one another to a situation where brethren within congregations hate each other, betray each other, and fall away. And we as a congregation need to make sure we don't end up this way. That no matter what happens, we love one another. We obey the command. And no matter what happens, people have to conclude we truly are the disciples of Christ. So I have three points, brethren. The first one is that God expects power in his house. It's an expectation. He does not expect his house to be cold, dark, and uninhabitable. He expects his house to be powered. Let's look at a couple of chapters back, Matthew 21. Matthew 21 and verse 12, and Jesus went into the temple of God, the house of God, and he cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. So my house should have spiritual power. 
But you've gone in and turned the hydro off. And it's now just a den of thieves. I have an expectation of how my house should perform. And I expect the lights to be on. I expect the power to be on. But these leaders in the temple were turning the power off. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple. And he healed them in the temple, in the house of God, where the power was on. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple for joy, and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. So these are the leaders of the temple, and they have their own agenda. And what we need to make sure is that we have God's agenda, that we're not here with a a different agenda. And he said unto them, Hear you what these say? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read out of the mouths of babes and sucklings you have perfected praise? So we want, brethren, to be these babes and sucklings, that God's praise is perfected here. And certainly we appreciate the congregational prayer that Pastor Murray led us in uh, just before the sermon. This is a house of prayer, that brethren need to come here with wounds, hurts, trials, and know that we care. We will pray for you. We will beseech God for you and for each other. That's what this house is. Let's look at Ephesians 2. So back at this time when Christ was on earth, they had the physical temple. Now we are the temple. In Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 17, And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both, those who were far off, Gentiles as well as those who are near, the Jews, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So we we do have access to this hydropower. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So that's what we are. We are members of God's household. And he has an expectation of what happens in his house. And Christ went into the temple and threw out those who were not performing according to the expectation. So we need to make sure that we understand his expectation and we're performing according to it. Verse 20, we are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So so we grow into this household of God by design. We 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 are a structure that's being joined together. So we're not just coming to Sabbath services once a week, listen to a sermon, sing some songs, have a coffee, and then go home. What we're doing is we're being joined together. We're we're spending time with each other. We're getting to know each other. We're deepening our love for one another. And we're becoming a unit. And that's how we become a household. And then each of us contributes our part to the unit. And that's what powers the house. So each one of us have a different form of this electricity. And we contribute it to power the house. In whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You know, sometimes we can read these scriptures and we hear them often, so we don't really understand or appreciate the profundity, how profound this is. This is profound. So let's read this again. In him... In Christ, we also are being built together. We're not being built alone. We're being built together. We're being crafted together into what? A dwelling place for God. The the creator will dwell here in us. Over time, this is what we're being fashioned into. 
And we're just one brick. We're just one brick. We will be joined with other bricks to, to create this full temple for God to dwell in. And he will dwell in his house. That's what we're being fashioned into. What a privilege. So we're all here by design. Nobody's here by accident. All these vehicles and people going by, not one of them can step foot in here. Not one. It's impossible. Unless God draws them. And for whatever reason, he's drawn us. And here we are. It's a profound privilege. And we need to come to services with this deep sense of gratitude, this deep sense of awe. Like, why us? And, but also a deep sense of obligation. We are a family. And that's when, you know, it's almost a year. We're coming up to a year. At the end of February, it'll have been a year since Burlington started. We launched it the last Sabbath in February. And when we launched, we set a vision. We said that our vision is to become a dynamic, actively serving congregational family that worships God in spirit and in truth and keeps the spirit of unity in the bond of peace. There's a lot in that vision. There's a lot in there. But it starts off with dynamic. That's energy. That's power. That means that each one of us individually needs to have God working with us so that when we show up, we show up with power. Not arrogance, but spiritual power. And then we said actively serving. So we have the the dynamos. We have the power. And when we show up, we we serve. We plug it in and we, we do something. You know, the computers are plugged in. They can do something. The lights are plugged in, they can do something. The heater is plugged in, it can do something. Each one is doing something different. But together, it makes the home. It makes the house. And so each one of us individually needs to be plugged into that source of power and then actively serving as a family. I have a physical family, but I also have a congregational family. And I've got to tell, I, am, I feel so, I don't know how you feel, But I feel so blessed to have you as a congregational family. I think, you know, to think that this we're not even a year old. We're not even one. And this is such a beautiful congregation. And it's a beautiful congregation because everyone contributes in in their own way. You know, today we had uh, Olivia on percussion. And it's amazing. It's the very day that um, Daniel wasn't able to play. And Olivia just said, I'm going to do percussion. And that's what we need is people who are actively serving. We're not waiting around for somebody to ask. We just see a need, we fill it. And that's what makes a family work. And in a family, as children grow up, they take on more responsibility. So as we grow spiritually, we should be taking on more responsibility. God, God has an expectation. Let's go to John, 1 John 1. First John one. Just to underline this, this, the importance of us plugging into the power source individually so that we can contribute congregationally. First John one, verse one, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. So here the Apostle John is saying, we were with him. He was on earth, we were with him. Verse 2, the life that was made manifest, and we have seen it. So there's a lot of false teachers going around now, but John is establishing himself as an apostle that dealt directly with Christ. And we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, And was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. 
So the apostles have this fellowship with the Father and with the Son, and then the, the disciples, the brethren, have fellowship with them. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light. God is energy. God is power. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So remember, brethren, we're heading into a time when brethren who are commanded to love one another are going to hate one another. And this blanket of ice is going to cover the church and limbs are going to break off and the power is going to go out. That's ahead of us. Because of lawlessness, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. And what the apostle here is saying is that God is light. There's no darkness in him. So if we say we have fellowship with him and at the same time we're walking in darkness, we're lying. And we're going to be found out. Because when the persecution comes... We're just not going to have that agape love. It hasn't been growing in us. We're going to become self-concerned, and we will betray others to save our own skin. But if over time we are having this true fellowship with God, and we're not saying we're sinless, this is impossible, but we're saying we're committed to fellowship with God. And when we sin, we repent. We confess and repent. and and nurture the Spirit of God within us, and have fellowship with God, so that when we come together, we have true fellowship with one another. And we are growing together as this temple, this house of God. So when persecution comes, we pull closer together, and we look out for one another. And we will sacrifice our lives for one another, because we love the brethren just as Christ loved them. We, we love the way Christ did, because that's the command. So every week we are developing obedience to this command. And whether it's our musicians practicing all week so that they can perform on the Sabbath and enhance our worship, or our Bible study leaders leading our youth, or our potluck contributors bringing food for the potluck, and I still remember Rosalia's hard-boiled eggs with the eyes for the kids. I mean, all of this matters. It all adds to what we're building here. And we're making these sacrifices because we are learning to love the brethren. And when ice storm comes and freezes the church, there's power in this house. Because we have fellowship with God. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another. This is what we, from week to week, this is what we're doing. Having true fellowship. Really getting to know each other. Really growing to love each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This, this is the, the inexplicable love that God has for us. That he sent his son. His son shed his blood. And that blood covers our sins. So we have a high priest. And with that, we can fellowship with God and fellowship with each other. Verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. You know, you have many Christians running around saying they have no sin. And they're liars. And when push comes to shove, they will be found out. We, we, We have to walk this walk truly. Because what's ahead of us is unpleasant. And, and, and we can only make it through the fire if we are authentic. The gold is tried in the fire. And so we have to be that authentic gold. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin, sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So point number one, brethren, is that God has a house and he expects power in his house. There is no way God wants to come to a house that is cold, that is dark, and that is unpleasant. 
And that when people come into that house, they just think, oh, this is awful. It looks awful. It smells awful. Nothing works. And they have to leave. God threw out the money changers because they did not honor his house. We need to honor this house and bring our contribution of power to the house. The second point, brethren, is that God's house must be a priority in our lives. God's house must be a priority in our lives. It's not like we have our lives and, oh, yeah, there's this thing that I do on Saturday for a couple of hours. Let me get that out of the way and then I can get back to my real life. God's house must be the priority in our lives. Look at Galatians, brethren. Galatians 5, and beginning in verse 22 with the fruit of the Spirit. And again, what this is, the fruit of the Spirit is hydroelectricity. That Niagara Falls falls, and that's the source, and then from that we can power the the homes, and then the electricity in the homes powers the devices. So in the same way, God's Spirit falls on the church, and then each one of us have our contribution that we can make. And it's going to be shown in the fruit. Galatians 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lusts. So as we grow in Christ, we put less importance on ourselves. And we put more importance on God's house. We've crucified the flesh. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory. And and this is, you know, when you study the early church, I understand why the apostle is saying this. Because the Greek philosophers that hijacked the church, they were into vain glory. An intellectual vain glory, trying to show how intelligent they were, and ended up hijacking the church. Let's not be desirous of vain glory provoking one another, envying one another. And you can see in this situation why uh, the love would grow cold. Brethren would end up hating each other. Chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. So this is the attitude that we want in God's house, that we're not arrogant, we're not superior. We're God's people. And if somebody has a problem... We reach out to them and embrace them and include them. We don't get up on our hind legs and think we're something and they're not. If somebody's overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. And I think of the scripture, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. And, and when I went walking around our property after the ice storm, I saw some trees that were proud and strong and you would think will be there for another hundred years. And I saw some limbs broken off that I was just astonished. And I just thought of that scripture, let him who thinks he stands take heed. Overnight conditions can change and all of your strength can be taken. In fact, what you're taking pride in could be the very thing that causes your downfall. And, and the weight of some of these limbs, their, their, their might, is what caused them to fall. So take, consider yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear you one another's burdens. And so the Kowalczyks and the Palmateers were bearing Ryan and Rachel as our burdens. And hopefully they were not too much of a burden. And so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. So, so we're here. No one of us is more important than the other. We're just God's house. And we're, we're powered by his spirit. And we all have different contributions to make. Let every man prove his own work. And then he shall have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teaches in all good things. 
Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. He that sows to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap, if we faint not. So we're going through the book of Hebrews, and there's this theme of endurance, enduring to the end, not fainting, keeping, keeping on to the end. We will reap if we faint not. Verse 10, as we have therefore opportunity, as we have opportunity, let us do good unto all men. Let's be contributors. Let's be givers. Let's be helpers to everybody. But notice this, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So life is running out. You know, Frank Klett is no longer with us. Insert your name there. We'll be saying Adrian Davis is no longer with us. Whatever your name is, insert it here, is no longer with us. Time is running out. As we have opportunity, especially in a congregation like this, let us do good unto the household of faith. Let's contribute what we can. Look at Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 11, he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers all of these different roles. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. And I think this is clear to me, verse 12, that word ministry, that service there is the collective ministry. I I think you would agree with me, Pastor, on this, that it's not Pastor Murray and Pastor Adrian doing ministry. We have a part to play as teachers so that we as a congregation can engage in ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. So all of us are required to edify, to build the body of Christ, to build the temple of God. Each one of us has a part to play until we all come in the unity of the faith. So it doesn't happen right away. We're not all going to agree right away. You know, in fact, um, Sister and Olivia and I are going through something right now where we don't see eye to eye. That's okay. We're not expected to see eye to eye right away. You know, over time, we work it together. We work, we study. It's not my opinion, not her opinion. It's what's the truth. Let's, let's, let's try to uncover the truth. It takes time till we all come eventually to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. And there's a lot of winds out there, a lot of winds blowing, all kinds of ideas. And and we have to just protect each other and, and stick to the truth. By the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. So they deceive us with doctrine. And then once they've got us doctrinally, our behavior changes Once our behavior changes, our love grows cold. Once our love grows cold, we hate one another. We're we're able to betray one another. So doctrine matters. Doctrine is what's going to keep us on track. But speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. From this head, from whom the whole body fitly joined together. As we fellowship week upon week, We are being fitly joined together according to God's design. And then not just joined together, but compacted. We're being pushed and pressed together. We're getting closer together by that which every joint supplies. So if you're plugged into God's power, you have something to supply, but it's supplied through a joint. As we connect, that's a joint. Murray and I connect, that's another joint. We connect, that's another joint. Every joint supplies something. So as we interact with each other, that energy contributes something to the body. Compacted 
by that which every joint supplies. So as we supply, we, we are compacting the body according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. So the energy is working, the spiritual hydro is working in every part. As each part comes with another part, that's a joint that supplies something that enables the body to be compacted together and makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So we actually edify ourselves. So as a a small congregation here, the congregation grows how? How is the congregation being built? By each of us building the congregation. So we are building God's house. We're living in God's house, but we're building it at the same time. And this word edifying is the uh, the Greek word oikodomen, oikodome, and it means any type of building or structure which encloses an area. So we're building something that's enclosed. A person can't just walk off the street and join us. By invitation only. It's the construction of something. This is according to Low and Nita Greek Dictionary. The construction of something with focus on the event of building up or on the result of such an event. So, so this is about building but the focus is actually in the process of building. So, so the process of building is important. So the, the, build, the eventual building obviously is important, but the process of getting there is important. And so what we do is we edify each other in love, and God is very concerned about that process, that we are fellowshipping with him, getting the spiritual power, then coming together, and each joint is giving something off, contributing something to the edification, and that's compacting the body. And so by the time whatever is ahead of us comes, we are so united, we are so compacted that the house stays warm, the lights stay on. We, we actually draw closer as a result of any persecution. The other definition they have here is to increase the potential of someone or something with focus upon the process involved. So we have a certain potential today that we didn't have a year ago. A year from now, our potential should be greater. Five years from now, our potential should be even greater because week upon week we're building and and we have a process that we're using to build the house of God. And that process starts with each one of us individually fellowshipping with God and getting access to that hydropower so that we can bring that light and that energy to the house. I want to share with you an analogy. It's doctrinally incorrect, but it's a powerful uh, allegory, I should say, of heaven and hell. And a person, a rabbi, is given the opportunity to look into heaven and will also see hell. And he's asked what you want. He says he wants to see hell first. So he goes to hell, and it's not like anything that he thought. He doesn't see flames of fire. He doesn't see a devil with a pitchfork. Instead, he sees dozens and dozens and dozens, as much as he can see, all tables of dozens of people, miserable and emaciated. They're starving to death. And at the same time, they're all sitting at these tables that are full of sumptuous meals. The food is, is just to die for. Pardon the, the joke. My, my idea of a joke. <laughs> so they're dying and they're starving, emaciated, and yet they have this sumptuous food in front of them. So he gets up closer and what he notices is these beautiful meals are prepared. They all have big spoons to eat the meals but they all have their arms uh, tied to a splint so that they're unable to bend their elbows. So they cannot feed themselves. And so the food is there, they just can't feed. They can't eat it. So he has enough of that, he asks, can he see heaven? So he's taken to heaven. It's the exact same scene. But everybody in heaven is laughing, talking, they're having a wonderful time, and and they're so filled and, and satiated. And he's wondering, what's the difference? So he goes up closer, 
same thing. They all have these splints and they can't bend their elbows. But each person is feeding the person across from them. And the person across from them is so grateful that they're feeding the other back. So in heaven, it's the same situation, but each is looking out for the other. So doctrinally incorrect, but the principle is powerful. If we come and we're trying to just look after ourselves, we're going to be emaciated. But if we come looking out for each other, feeding each other, looking after each other, we don't have to worry about who's going to look after, for us, look after us. It will be returned. Verse 17 of Ephesians 4. I say, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you henceforth from now on do not walk as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. This, this is the fundamental difference between us and the world. We don't walk in the vanity of our mind. We're not walking around thinking of ourselves. We are walking around like Christ, sacrificing ourselves for others. We're putting in the time. We're making the effort so that we can contribute to others. Romans 12. Romans 12 and verse 1. I'm begging you, therefore, brethren, I'm begging you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. When you think of what God is giving you and what God has done for you, it's reasonable to ask that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And be not conformed to this world. Again, that, that vanity of mind. But be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. Put on the mind of Christ, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, so this is to everybody, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. Don't think of yourself as more important than others, as greater than others. Be sober here. according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, that's okay, we all have different roles, in the same way, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, so, so we are members of each other, where we're one body, so I'm a member, you're a member of the body, Verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. We all have different gifts. Not the same. We're not yellow pencils. We all have different gifts. Whether prophecy, let us prophesy, prophesy according to the proportion of faith. So if that's your gift, exhortation, do that. It doesn't serve the brethren for you to be shy and for you to say, well, I'm not really confident. If that's your gift, bring it. Bring it according to the measure of faith. Don't bring it with arrogance. Bring it with faith. Or ministry. You have the gift of service. Let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teaches on teaching. Or he that exhorts on exhortation. And he that gives, let him do it with simplicity. He that rules with diligence. He that shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. Giving priority to one another. So we're this small congregation. We will not realize our potential if you hang back. If you have a, it's not to say that you have to do things that are unnatural for you. But if you have a gift, if you have a talent, if you have an ability, it doesn't serve God. It doesn't serve the people of God for you to hold back. 
There needs to be a trust in the congregation, a love in the congregation, that everybody can serve fully, wholeheartedly with their gift and contribute and, and, and let power be in the house of God. Okay, brethren, my last point. <clears throat> my last point, point number three, is we must prepare God's house for others. We must prepare God's house for others. Again, we're not here so that once a week we can hear a sermon, a Bible study, sing a few songs, pray, uh, have a coffee and some biscuits, and then go home. We're actually doing something here. We're, we're, we're building God's house. And, and I, have to, you know, I don't want to be patting ourselves on the back, but I, I think God is pleased with what has transpired here in the last 11 months. And what we want is for him to continually be pleased because we're constantly showing up, doing something, building something, edifying something. And, and it's not just for us. We're going to do this for others. Others are coming. God is sending more first fruits. We need to prepare the house for them. So when they come, they don't come and say it's cold in here. They don't come and say it's dark in here. They don't come and say this is unpleasant. They come and they say, wow, you guys really love each other. I can tell you are Christ's disciples. It's warm in here. It's so bright and it's so pleasant. Look at uh, Luke. Let's go to Luke 14, where Caitlin was earlier. <clears throat> but let's begin in verse 16. Then said he unto him, a certain man made a great supper. You can, I'll tell you, you can't make a great supper if you don't have hydro. It just doesn't work. Okay. So a certain man made a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said to him, I bought a piece of ground and I must needs go and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I go to prove them. I, I pray you have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So basically, the people who have been invited, the first fruits, are saying, they've been invited to be first fruits, are saying, I have other priorities. There are other things going on in my life right now that are more important than the house of God, than eating in God's house. So, verse 21, that servant came and showed his Lord these things. God has an expectation. Verse 21. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. So, God's house was much bigger than it is today. But many of the brethren that were in God's house have basically said, I have other priorities. This, this doesn't work for me right now. And so they've left. And what the scripture is saying, God is angry. And in his anger, he starts to invite others that we would look at as poor, maimed, halt, and blind. So these are people that perhaps in some former time, others would look down on. And say, oh, they're nobody. And yet God is saying, you know what? Invite them in the house. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as you've commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. So God has a desire to fill his house. And he's going to take effort to ensure that it's full. So we need to make sure that we're prepared for this. That when he goes out into the highways and byways and brings people in, we have created an environment that even though they're poor, even though they're maimed, even though they're maybe 
not really looked upon, when they come here, they're like, wow, I love it here because we've provided the right environment. Then he's going to go out in the highways and byways and compel them to come in. So who knows before the end how big this church could get, big to us. Who knows? But if the foundation is weak, when there's this influx, it's going to fall apart. But if we make sure that we've built a true culture of love, when there's this influx, people will learn how to love one another. And no matter what happens, that culture of love will be strong here. And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said to them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. So if we're walking around in the vanity of our mind, where our own self, our own life is what's important, we cannot be Christ's disciple. We have to have this love of God that we've given up our life. I'm dead to Christ. And I'm, I'm alive to God. So now, with this attitude... If somebody comes and threatens me to take my life unless I turn in my brethren, I've already given my life. I've I've already died to Christ. So you want to kill me? Kill me. I've made a decision already that my life doesn't matter. But if I don't make that decision, if, if my life is what's important, and I'm just kind of checking in every week for a couple of hours, when push comes to shove, I'm going to betray everybody in order to save my life. Whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Just, it's not, it's not, you can't be. For which of you intending to build a tower sits not down first and counts the cost, whether he has sufficient to finish it? Lest happily, after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and he wasn't able to finish So we have set our mind to build a house for God. We've laid the foundation. Hopefully, each one of us individually is so committed that we will finish the house. We're not just going to lay the foundation and then we run out of steam, run out of power. So brethren, as I said, on December 29th, eight days later, we called Hydro and they told us the power was on. And so we could move back into our house. It was warm. It had light. All the devices, the fridge, everything. You know, at one point, I forgot to say, my son said to me, the warmest place in our house is inside the fridge. It was so cold that the the fridge was actually the warmest place. We don't want that for God's house. That it's just a cold place. And you come here and you just, everyone's preoccupied with themselves. We want that when God sends people here, it's a warm house. It's a bright house. Let's conclude in Matthew 5. So, yeah, sorry, let me just say the three points. God expects power in his house. He has that expectation. We must prioritize God's house. And three, we must prepare the house for others. More are coming. We have to prepare the house for them. Matthew 5. So, brethren, we need hydro to make the house livable. We need hydro to prepare meals. We need hydro to turn on the lights. We need hydro for heat. Matthew 5, verse 14. Brethren, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. You, you have this spiritual energy. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. So God sets the city on a hill. And you see, you see it. In fact, Jen, when you were flying in, you probably see all the city, especially if you're flying at night. You just see how it lights up. That's what God wants. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. It cannot be hidden. Word will get out. You know the brethren in Burlington? They really love each other. We need to be more like that. They can do it, we can do it. They're not better than us, but they're doing it. Let's do it too. So God is going to make this city and he's going to put it on a hill because you are the light of the world. 
Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel. You just don't do that. If you light a candle, in fact, we had to light a, a, a lamp, we put it out so that it can light the room. That's what God does. He's going to put Burlington out if we, if we fulfill the command to love one another. He's going to put us out to light the room. You don't, you don't light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it gives light unto all that are in the house. God wants light in his house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. So, brethren, a house without hydro is uninhabitable. Let us individually harness the power of God's Spirit and then collectively ensure that God's house has hydro. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.